You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast, where I tap into the minds of today's impact players. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show, and today I sit down with Aaron Walker. Aaron is a businessman and life coach. He's had the pleasure of taking classes from and being personally coached by financial guru Dave Ramsey, who you may know. Um, He also has spiritual mentors David Landreth and Bob Warren, um, who have impacted his spiritual life beyond measure. And uh, what's fascinating about Aaron is that he's created multiple lucrative businesses, eight and counting. Uh, Several have gone to be multi-million dollar companies. He sold uh, a construction company to uh, another Fortune 500 company and has done very well with that. But his real calling has been in the life coaching. And um, he has created multiple mastermind groups that is something that we talk a lot about in this call and I'm excited to share with you. But he is just a wealth of wisdom. And again, it's my pleasure and honor to have him on the program. So let's dive into the call. Here I am with Aaron Walker. Aaron Walker, how are you doing, my friend? Peter, I couldn't wait to get on this call today, man. I'm fired <laughs> up to be your guest. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to have you on. Um, I was uh, referred to you by a mutual friend of ours, and uh, so I'm excited to get to know you a little bit and hear right. about what you're doing. I took a look at some of the stuff that you've got cool. going on, and uh, we definitely have a lot of uh, similarities and interests sure. and uh so yeah, thanks for thanks for carving out some time today. To yeah, absolutely. Call. I love these interviews, and I liked it where it's not quite so scripted, and you and I can get to know each other and have a good time, and right. maybe maybe add some value to your listeners. That's the idea. That's the idea. Well, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. I I know you've got uh, the iron sharp. Iron sharpens iron, and the view from the top, both right. uh, like right. brand wise. I'm attracted to. Tell me more about sure. those. What what are those, and what are you doing? Yeah, well, let me give you a little backstory so you'll understand. You'll have a little bit of context in what we're doing. Uh, 41 years now as an entrepreneur. Uh, started out my first business at 18. Uh, sold it to a Fortune 500 when I was 27. Nice. Took about 18 months off. Went back, bought the company I started with when I was a teenager. We grew it four times the size it was over a nine-year period. Wow. Peter, but where my life really begins is on August 1st, 2001, and I want to take you back 18 years now. I was headed to the office. My life was amazing. We had a great business. I was working three days a week. My partner was working three days a week. We both had two children. Life was just utopia. I had the big house and the vacation place. We had all the stuff, and it was like, man, this is the way it's supposed to be, right? Until a guy named Enrique walks out in front of me and I ran over and killed a pedestrian Mm. on my way to the office Mm. and my life come to a screeching halt that day. And I can't even begin to tell you, nor am I going to attempt to unravel everything that was revolved around that, but I'll give you a large Mm. overview. So I couldn't handle the stress. I was going to a counselor and had a lot of friends around me and sold the business. And so I retired for the second time at 40 and I was completely done. Five years later, I was getting in the bed in the middle of the day. I'd gained 50 pounds, and my wife said, this is not what I signed up for. Robin and I had been married a long time. We got married two weeks out of high school, Mm. and so we'd been married a long time at this point. She said, you got to get yourself back in order, and you've got to do something else. So I went in the construction business, built a successful construction company, and then When I turned 50, I retired and I was done forever. I thought, I said, this is it. My wife said I've retired more than the law allows, you know, (laughs) 
And so I retired eight years ago. I'm 58 now. I retired eight years ago. And I've been in a mastermind group now. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and I've been in a mastermind group with Dave Ramsey and Dan Miller and Ken Abraham and Jeff Mosley. Some of those names may or may not mean anything to anybody, but there's some local guys. And they encouraged me to coach. And I said, I'm not coaching anybody. <laughs> and Dan Miller said, well, what are you going to do now? I said, I'm going to go to the Caribbean. I'm going to sit on the front porch of one of those little tiki huts, yep. and I'm going to rock myself into an oblivion. And I thought it was funny. I thought I'm going to get a chuckle out of the room. Nobody laughed. And Dan Miller leaned over the table and he said, that's the most selfish thing I've ever heard you say. Hmm. He goes, you got enough money for yourself now. God bless the rest of you. That's what you just said. And I said, you know, that's not my heart. You know, that's not what I meant. He said, Aaron, you need to coach. You've owned 14 businesses over a 41 year period. You've had a 39 year successful marriage two children, five grandchildren. He said, you have a lot to offer. Yeah. So I started coaching Peter about five years ago and God just blessed it. I can't even begin to tell you how he blessed it. Started doing podcast interviews and our business just literally blew up. So I said, I can't scale one-on-one. So I started a mastermind group called Iron Sharpens Iron. Now we have 150 men from nine different countries 15 mastermind groups, and I'm having the time of my life. That's what my past 41 years has looked like. It's a brief overview from a 30,000-foot view, but I'm absolutely, Peter, having the time of my life right now. Wow. There's so many different angles that I could uh, follow up with you on on that little synopsis. I mean, I think maybe most importantly, like how how did you refine your footing after that horrific event? Yeah, it was pretty tough, to be honest with you. I wrote a book called View from the Top, and in the book, I talk about it, and I said that there's moments that can come, and I titled the chapter Blindsided, and that's exactly what happened to me. I didn't see it coming, right? 7.30 in the morning, life is good. Got a brand-new 2001 Lincoln Navigator I'm driving, and I'm on top of the world is the way I felt until that guy crossed the street and didn't look my way. And I literally was blindsided and I wasn't prepared for that. And the listeners out there, I want you to be prepared today. You never know when those things are coming and you've got to shore up the relationships that you've got. You've got to get people around you now that you're building those kindred spirit relationships, people that can help walk you through difficult times. And thankfully, I had those relationships. I had many guys that I'd been investing in for years and years and years, had long-term friendships and relationships, and they helped walk me through that. Isolation is the enemy to excellence. Mm -hmm. And if you really want your life to go to levels you've never been, you've got to surround yourself with quality people. Jim Rohn said it best when he said, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I think that's the most profound, accurate quote that's ever been stated. Because you are the average of those five people. You take on a lot of their habits, their principles, their core values. And I chose to surround myself with great people. And it's the only way I was able to work myself through that horrific accident. Mm. Uh, That's a pretty profound uh, concept. How do you, as, I don't mean to necessarily make this a gender issue, but it tends to be men who often get laser focused in their careers, in life, and as a byproduct of that focus tend to isolate themselves. How do you, as a man, how do you encourage um, connection and and community and tribal community 
amongst men in a way that is healthy and also feels still masculine without it being, you know, kumbaya. And, yeah, sure. And- so I was at the Curb Center uh, back decades ago listening to a group called Mercy Me, and they were playing in a concert. And little did I know, Dave Ramsey was two roles in front of me watching the same concert. Neither one of us knew the other one was there. I was a sponsor of his show. I started advertising on Dave's show when he was on one station here in Nashville. He gave me advertising to try him. So I did, fell in love with you know what he was doing, and I sponsored and advertised on his show for 21 consecutive years after that. But in the early stages, he came up to me and he said, hey, I'm starting this mastermind group, and I would like for you to consider joining. And I said, I don't even know what a mastermind group is. <laughs> and he said, well, just be at my office Wednesday morning, seven o'clock, and I'll introduce you to the guys that I'm inviting. So I show up and quite honestly, Peter, I didn't want to go. I mean, yeah, I wanted to hang out with Dave, but I didn't know these other guys. And so I go in Dave's conference room and there's 10 guys sitting around the table and I sit down and introduce myself and they did as well and got to know them over time. But what I didn't like is the idea of being transparent and vulnerable and authentic. Like I had trials in my life at that time, but I didn't want Peter to know. I didn't want James or Billy to know. I didn't want anybody to know because, you know, if they know, then they're not going to like me as well. And if they know I don't have it all going on, I mean, my goodness, who could imagine being in a group with somebody like Dave Ramsey? Although Dave wasn't then who he is now. He had just started his show, right? Mm -hmm. And so we grew our businesses together. But Dave was a hard charger and he'd call you out in a minute and that felt uncomfortable to me. So several months later, I'm in the group and then Dave shares something that's very transparent and I'm like, dang, that was pretty strong. And then Dan Miller would share something or Jeff Mosley. And I'm like, these are real guys. I mean, like, you know, they don't have it all together. And then one guy shared about his marriage was struggling and another guy shared about teenage children and how they were kind of going wayward and I thought well maybe I'm not so strange after all maybe everybody is experiencing some trial or tribulation in their life so I started kind of manning up and saying hey Robin and I are going through this and my children are doing this and they were like hey big a everybody calls me big a said hey big a uh, if you try this I think maybe that will work. And then we would get the general consensus of the multitude. And that's where wisdom is found. Yeah. So the guys would say, hey, yeah, try this. And I did. And it worked. And I thought, they don't have anything to gain or lose as a result of what they tell me. So why wouldn't they tell me the truth? Mm-hmm. And it ended up, Peter, I've been in a mastermind group now every week for 21 years. Wow. And it's radically changed my life because I have wow. my own board of directors. Right. Right. I have people around me that are authentic and transparent and vulnerable. They're honest and they don't give me the fluff and they don't build me up unnecessarily. But when I'm down, they pick me up. And when I get too high up and think I'm almighty, they pull me back down. They say, hold on, big boy. Don't forget where you came from. Right. So they keep you centered. And so that's how I was able to get through the experience. Interesting. Um, you used the term man up there. And I, it was interesting in the way that you used it. You, you were essentially saying man up by exposing yourself, man right. up by letting sure. your guard down. And sure. in our society right now, there's such a, you know, there's all this um, gender, uh, yeah, I, what's I the it. word I'm even looking for, agenda. Um, and, and there's a lot of backlash against the idea of quote unquote manning up, but you just use it in a way that I don't think most people think of the term manning up. What do you mean by 
that and what lessons can you share with manning up by letting your guard down and being a <laughs> you know uh eldridge talks about it in his book wild at heart yes. uh quite a bit first of all and this is not going to be a surprise to many people that listen to me and in my interviews i'm a christ follower my i'm a christian by faith and so a lot of the things and the principles i teach come directly out of scripture and uh, I love living my life that way, and I want to encourage others to really evaluate your own personal faith and where you're at there. But in the scripture, it talks about being a servant leader, and a lot of people think being a servant leader is being a doormat. There is nothing further from the truth. Mm -hmm. I'm as much a man as anybody. I'm 6'4", 235 pounds. I'm a big guy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But at the same time, I'm the servant to my wife, Robin, of 39 years. I have two children, 36 and 33 years old, that I'm a servant leader to them. I'm a servant leader to my grandchildren. I have five grandchildren now. I'm very involved and active in our community and at our local church and in men's groups. Uh, being a man doesn't mean that you're a fighter, that you're somebody that's belligerent, that you can't take constructive criticism. A real man is what I just described, being that servant leader to your colleagues and peers and to your family. And what happens invariably, and I coach people, I'm very fortunate to have a very successful coaching business, and I coach men all over the world. And without fail, the guys that come into the group with this, you know, this veil, with this uh, crusty appearance with this, you know, arm's length distance, I find out invariably they have relationship issues mm -hmm. and more than not at home. And what they do is, is they go home and they try to run roughshod over their family and they end up with relationship problems. They are successful financially and they do it at the expense of their families. And they come home one day with a pocket full of money to a house full of strangers. Mm -hmm. And I want to encourage you today not to do that. If you're listening to me today, I want you to build boundaries around your workplace. I want you to be that guy that really does care about your relationships because that's primary it's the most important thing in our life is our relationships. Money comes and goes, right? It has no memory, but our families forever have a memory and we've only got a limited time with them. You know, if you have children, Peter, and I'm not sure if you do, but you've only got so many years with them, you know, about 16, 17 years old, and they're going to go out on their own. And so you can make more money, you can have more businesses, but you only get one shot with those children. Mm -hmm. And I don't want people to mess that up. And so what did I say to be a man? I'm talking about being a servant leader. Um, so you had mentioned the idea of being a servant leader, uh, sometimes being confused with this idea of quote unquote, being a doormat and letting people walk all over you. Where, what's the difference between, where's the, the fine line between serving, but also, you know, maintaining boundaries and, and serving with backbone versus just sure. laying over sure. and letting people walk all over you? Well, here's the thing. You've got to have core values and you've got to have principles that you live your life by. If you don't have a mission statement, vision and values, and you don't share those often with your family and with the people that are around you, you're living your life reactive and not proactive. And so I have very strong boundaries that I build and I do that personally and professionally. There's things that I will do and not do. There's boundaries that Rob, and I'll give you some examples. I travel all over speaking and uh, I'm from the old school and I'm about to lose some of your listeners right now. And I'm totally okay with that because this is good for me. Okay. <clears throat> and it's good for my marriage and it's good for the way I view things. 
But when I travel and speak, invariably people come up and they'll buy one of my books or I'll give one of my books out and they'll want to take a selfie with me. And I don't do that with women. And normally the women get offended right out of the gate. What do you mean? And I said, well, let me explain something to you. I'm out here in San Diego right now. I'm speaking at a conference. You're 25 years old and you're beautiful. And I've got my arm around you and take a picture with you. First thing you're going to do with that picture is put it on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Very first thing you're going to do, you're not even going to get to your car. You're going to have that picture on Facebook. And then my wife is sitting at home in Nashville, Tennessee on the couch. And that picture comes up with me and my arm around a 25 year old, good looking blonde in San Diego. How strengthening is that going to be for my marriage long-term, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, not for me. Robin and I have chosen to honor each other. And I tell <laughs> women, you know what? I honor my wife. And I do that in this way. And you know what they invariably say? I wish my husband felt that way. Right. Without fail. I don't go anywhere with women alone, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Many, many, many things that I don't do. That's just one boundary. Working is another thing. I work Monday through Thursday. I reserve Friday through Sunday for my family. I don't work at night, you know, five o'clock at night. I'm done. I don't work at night. People say, well, I can't interview you unless we do it at eight o'clock at night. Well, you're not going to interview me because <laughs> I don't work at night. And I don't mean to be arrogant about it. It's just that I place the priorities in order that I feel that they should go. And that's my faith first, then my family, and then business. Yeah. And so if you're very careful to do that, your family's going to respect you more. Your peers and colleagues are going to respect you more. And you're quite honestly, you're going to get more done as a result of it. Yeah. Um, I, I think the key thing to what you just said was that works for you. And I do think that it is a, uh, right. a, a individual. Yes. But individual you know, choice. obviously it's an example that I think can positively influence many other people. But yeah. I also know people who are um, very comfortable in their trust in their relationships and where they would Absolutely. take pictures like that and that's okay, but that is what works for them. Yeah. And so, and I what think what happens is though, we compromise the things that we build that's best for us and see whatever that is. And I don't try to overlay my values on you and please don't misunderstand anybody. Many, many people are much more comfortable. They're happy to do that. That is fine. I'm not suggesting that it's a wrong thing to do. What I'm saying is, is that I stick to my boundaries and yeah. my principles and my values. And that's what Robin and I have designed. Whatever that is for you, where I see people go awry is when they compromise their own values and their own boundaries. Yes, and and how some perhaps Christians in particular try to uh, impose their values on others. Right. Sure, uh, it's really healthy and I think valuable to say, "Yes, I'm a man of God. Yes, I'm a man of Christ. Right. This is how I live my life. It's worked right. for me. It's elevated my business. It's enriched my relationships. Right. It's added my bank account. It's allowed me to give." to all these other people. And you should do the same if that works for you, if that resonates. Right. Follow me. I'll show you how I did it. But if it right. doesn't, that's okay. And other people can live the values that, sure. that they're attracted to. And I think yeah. we're so sensitive in our society right now. Everybody's yeah. got a yeah. megaphone. Right. So, right. you know, without that level of, of what you were just saying, it's like, hey, this, is works, this works for me and I'm happy right. to share it with you if, right. if if it resonates. Well, here's the thing. I'm that. not up here today preaching this to people. You're interviewing me and this right. is about my life. And right. so people can take the nuggets from that and apply it to them if it's good for you. And if it's not, you know, you sift through it and you take what's good for you and you work with that. Um, if I could ask you, since we're a little bit on this Christian vein for a second, sure. um, 
how do you how do you mitigate homosexuality? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably a conversation for a different day. Yeah. and I'm not prepared right now to answer. That's that. fair. I mean, I realize that that's a it kind of came out of left field too a little bit. It, it, yeah. The reason why I ask is because I, I grew up in a Christian household. Yeah. Uh, after my mother passed on, my father came out. And, you know, it was, it was a very real issue for my family to, sure. to navigate that. And, right. um, and I know that a lot of people struggle with that. Right. Christians in particular, um, sure. Sure. Who, you know, who deal with that. So anyway, I, I, I can respect that. So you seem to have the Midas touch when it comes to businesses. What's your secret? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, uh, grit, determination, and perseverance. Okay. Uh, you know, when I was in school, Uh, I was 15 years old when I decided the first business I wanted to do. And I went to summer school and night school for 18 months. I didn't have to go my junior and senior year in high school. I was able to, you know, get out of school two years early because I'd gone to night school and summer school because I wanted to work. I didn't want to go to school. I didn't go to college. And I wanted to work. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I'm not saying college is not a great thing, but we're about to visit a college for my granddaughter. I think college is an amazing thing. There again, it wasn't for me. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I didn't want to go to school. I wanted to work and it's proven to be very successful for me. Uh, But the way that uh, I chose that was by happenstance. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew what I didn't want to do. My dad uh, was a great man, very honorable, a great character, Uh, but he didn't have any money, any business skills whatsoever. And I knew I didn't want to work as hard as he did physically. My dad was a general contractor Mm. and I watched my dad sweep the snow off of a roof in the winter to re-roof it. So we'd have food. And I've watched my mom put Mm. canned goods in the pantry and nail a board over it during the summer. So we would have food in the winter. So I know all about being poor and I knew that I wanted a different lifestyle. I knew that I wanted something different. Yeah. And so, therefore, I put an inordinate amount of work. And, Peter, I've worked some hours that are insane, that I'm not proud of. I'm not mm-hmm. boasting. But I literally have washed up in the sink at my office and changed clothes and stayed there all night and worked the next day and didn't even wow. go home. And I would work all day and go out at night and promote and advertise my business. And I did that for nine consecutive years with Robin and I when we first got married. I delayed gratification for the greater good. And I'm glad I did at this point because we paid a 10-year loan off in 36 months by having that much grit and determination. And so I want to encourage your listeners today, and this is something that is very very difficult today, is to have the delayed gratification mentality. Most people have the microwave mentality. If it takes more than 23 seconds to get your coffee at McDonald's, you're like, where are they at? You know, come on. And I'm like, hey, we took an $18,000 a year salary for nine years. I had two children, $18,000, okay? Mm -hmm. That's poverty level. Mm -hmm. And we did that uh, for nine years. And then I sold my company to a Fortune 500 based out of Fort Worth, Texas. And I was able to retire at 27 years old. So I go from nothing, dead broke at 18 to retiring at 27, and it's because of the level of consistency, and that is the biggest key. There's two things that I want your listeners to hear today. One is building relationships intentionally is the most important asset you could have and doing it consistently, and I talk about this nonstop with coaching clients. People ask me all the time, how are you so consistent because I have a plan? 
and I have a written plan and we have systems and processes in place. So the shiny object syndrome never bothers me because if it's not on my plan each and every day, it doesn't get done. And we use mm -hmm. Brian Moran's plan, the 12 week year and people, you know, I, Brian needs to pay me some money because I've sold more of his books than he has. <laughs> but it, it, it works. We've had people add millions of dollars of revenue to the top line because it gets you intently focused on two main objectives every 12 weeks. And if you want your life to change, you need to check it out. I have no stake in the game. I get no money for promoting it, but it is absolutely a game changer. And what's that's the, how, sorry, what's the name of it? The 12-week year. Oh, yeah, yes. yes. Yep. Brian, Brian Moran uh, was the author or is the author. And he's an amazing guy, and he's got a great plan. So it's a great book. I suggest it highly. A hundred percent. I read it, and it, it does. Especially, I'm I'm one of those shiny object syndrome guys. Like I I I see opportunity everywhere, and and I found that that book was monumental for me because it allowed me to think in a time frame that my sort of ADD mind could yeah. say, okay, I can, I can focus for 12 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Like a year is a long time to try to plan things out, especially when things are changing so much. Life happens and whatnot. Peter, but. a little bit of accountability here. I'm going to turn the tables on you on your own show. Do yep. you do the 12-week year every 12 weeks? I do not. <laughs> Why? You know, it's, I, I think of it conceptually as, like I think of it in- Yeah, in, but in practically it works. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine owns a big ad agency in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and very successful company. And I've uh, been around for a number of years, and he started doing it with me. He's in my mastermind group, and he started doing it with me. Uh, an amazing guy. And his first two 12-week years, he added $2 million to his top-line revenue. And mm -hmm. I asked him, I said, was that there or did you create it? He goes, it was already there. Already he there. said, it just allowed us to focus. Now they've got their entire team on that. And we have hundreds of people now that have implemented that strategy. I do it every 12 weeks and we average 35 to 40% annual growth as a result of using that program. Mm -hmm. It just gets you focused and yeah. it just allows the shiny object syndrome. Yeah, for sure. I need to revisit that um, and make that a much more integral practice because I, 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 I do, I will sort of, you know, like, like a firework, you know, fizzle out a little bit if you don't, if I don't have the parameters. And like the a bottle there. rocket without a stick on it, right? You can't do <laughs> right. that, man. You can't. Well, but the, but the other huge component too is I find too is the mastermind and having other peers that I 100%. respect and love. Yep. Call me out on my BS and say, you know, get back, you know, you're, <laughs> you're, you're bottle rocketing again. You got to get See, back that's off. the very thing that changed my life. Mastermind groups. That's mm -hmm. the reason I started Iron Sharpens Iron mm -hmm. is that uh, it, you have constant accountability every single week on the calls. We have two live meetups a year. So we have a hundred plus guys to get together here in Nashville. By the way, I pay for all that. It's out of their dues. And so I'll pay for their hotel, the food, entertainment, the speakers. I pay for everything. All they've got to do is come. We have an amazing uh, twice a year, two-day meetups. And then every week, there's a Facebook group that we're interacting in. There's live calls. You know, it's a video conference, and we're on that every single week. And when you have that level of accountability, you're going to get things done. Yeah. And that's the thing that has radically transformed my life and aided in the success uh, of these 14 businesses I've had. Yeah. Wow. Um, is that, uh, can you give us an idea as to what the structure is? I mean, obviously you're following the, the, the 12 week year, but let's yeah. drill down yeah. a little bit more. Yeah, sure. Well, 
we have people 10 in a group and they meet on zoom, uh, just like we're meeting on today, zoom. And then we meet the same time every week. So if it's Monday, two o'clock, your 10 guys show up Monday, two o'clock thematically, uh, we have themes every month, uh, like June and July right now that we're recording this, uh, we're reading the book, the seven principles that make marriage work. Uh, by John Gottman, which is the expert in marriage. If marriage is important, we need to spend some time on it. And so that's what we're doing. Uh, last month, it was marketing book. Seth Godin wrote that book. And so, uh, and then I interview the author every month. So Seth Godin was our guest last month and all the guys come on the video conference call. We interviewed Seth. And then we have book questions related to the book and you're given those questions two months in advance. And so in the directory, we know exactly the questions we're going to be asked. We have a 10 question accountability form that you fill out every Thursday and it's digital and the results go into your Facebook group. So you have accountability from 10 guys seeing the results of these questions. And then we have what's called man in the middle. It's kind of the hot seat. And we have two guys that are there. They pose their questions uh, in advance in the Facebook group. Guys have time to think about if they need to give resources or do any research on your questions. And then we do that continually every single week. Then we have leaders that rotate. So the men in the groups take a turn every five weeks. Uh, we have man in the middle opportunity and every 10 weeks you're leading the group. And so we do that structure leading the group. Uh, I'm in seven of the groups personally. I facilitate those and I have facilitators that lead the other group. And so it's just a huge amount of accountability, constant resources that are given. You're getting encouragement, edification. You're getting called out if you're not doing the things that you're supposed to be doing. So, Peter, think about this. If you had to go before those guys every week and you don't, you don't want to come in there a loser, you don't want to L on your forehead, you're going to do the work. Yeah. And what happens when you do the work? You're successful. Yeah. Right? And yep. so... 60% professional, 30% personal, and 10% spiritual. And we have Hindus, Muslim, Buddhist, atheist, agnostic, Christian. You don't have to be any particular faith to be in our group. Uh, what we are looking for are givers. We're looking for guys that are wanting to give. And yeah. then the natural reciprocity, you're going to get all you need if you're a giver. If you're selfish and you come in the group and you're just out for yourself, you wouldn't be a good fit for our group. We're also very hardcore. It's not for the faint at heart because we talk about every aspect of your life. I almost lost my family decades ago because I was chasing money. Another business, another $100,000, another retail operation, another whatever, you fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And I came home one day and my wife goes, hey, me and the girls are going to do this. And I'm like, well, I can't get ready that soon. She was like, well, sorry, we're going. And they, and I said, man, I better wake up and pay attention. Mm -hmm. And what would happen is, is I'd come home with that money and no family. And then what good have I gained? Right. And uh, I would be a rich old guy with no relationships. And I certainly didn't want that. And so that's what we help people do in the mastermind. Very cool. Um, a mentor of mine often says success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. And that would be 100%. certainly the case. And I, you know, that's, a, it's, a, it's sad that that actually happens, but those relationships are so key to a quality life. Um, so I love that principle of um, creating intentional relationships. What are some of the, the case studies that you can share of guys that have come in? And this is just men right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of women's groups out there. Michelle Williams has a great group for women called BVU, 
boy victor y bv excuse me bvu not y bvu and it is an amazing platform for women and the reason we do men is because I've been in men's groups, accountability groups, mastermind groups, and I know how men think. And a lot of the things that we need to talk about are no differently than women. There's things that women need to talk about with women. There's things that men need to talk about with men. And we get all off in your business, right? I want you to be the husband, the dad, the father, the colleague, the peer that you were created to be. And we need to talk about some hardcore stuff in order to get you there. So our niche market is men. And uh, some of the things, uh, you know, there's, there's many, many, many successes uh, that have come as a result of being around that. But more than anything, just the camaraderie and the ability to share vulnerably transparency with authenticity has been the biggest asset for being in the group. Yeah, there's just, unfortunately, there's just, for many men out there today, there's just very few outlets for that. They haven't yeah. sought them out. They haven't found them. And so a lot of guys are just yeah. drift. What, yeah. what are some of the biggest mistakes uh, or missed opportunities, what have you, challenges that you see that men uh, run into and, and mm-hmm. what advice do you have for that? We've already talked about it a little bit. One is isolation. isolation. Uh, one is, is that they don't want people to know that they don't know the answer. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a lot of things that I coach men and I go home at night and I tell Robin, I can't believe they didn't know that. You know what I'm saying? Because they've never shared with anybody. See, I'll be the first to say, I don't know. It's like, I don't know. I want to get better and see, I've been able to control my ego and pride a little bit more. That's a very difficult thing to do because we want everybody to think we got it together. Here's what's going on, Peter, in every household, though. There's problems. There's trials. There's tribulations. There's people that appear to be doing so great, and they're laying in bed at night, and they're talking with their spouse, and they're like, I don't know how I'm going to make the mortgage. Or they have children that have gone wayward, and they're like, I don't even know what to do. But they, God forbid, they tell anybody that their little Billy is having troubles at school, you know, because then they won't think as high of Billy. Well, to me, I'd rather go to my friends and go, hey, Billy is struggling in this area big time. Have any of y'all experienced that? Do you have any resources? Is there any counselors? Are there any books, podcasts, TED Talks? Is there anything I can learn that Billy can get some help? Yeah. Or with me, you know, right? There's struggles, struggles that I have personally. We all have Achilles heel, right? There's kryptonite in all of our lives. We have blind spots. Yeah. People around you on a weekly basis can pick up on that. We have one good friend right now, and he is an amazing guy. But he's got an ego the size of the hood of a truck. I mean, this guy just, and he doesn't see it, and it's going to cost him big time long term. Uh And we're able to build relationships with that guy. I had a guy call me recently, and he wanted to join the mastermind group. His first question was, what is the average income of the group I would be in? And I didn't answer the question. Then he started asking very specific questions. What am I going to get out of it? Started asking these, everything was I, you know, I did this, I did that. And he started telling me all these businesses that he had owned in the past and how many seven figure businesses he had had. And not one time, this is kind of a clue I'm giving away. If you ever want to join my group, not one time did he say, Hey, I've got this skill and I can teach your guys how to do this. Mm -hmm. Not one time. So we get to the end of the interview and filled out the application. We get to the end of the interview and he said, okay, so what do you think? And he was like, he knew I was going to take the, yeah, I mean, how could you not take this guy? And I said, uh, you know, quite honestly, you wouldn't be a good fit for our group. 
And the phone went dead silent. He goes like, you got to be kidding. I've got all this experience. And he kind of went over it again. And I went, you know, not one time did you ever say the value you were going to bring. All you ask is what you were going to get out of it. And we're looking for givers, not takers. And no disrespect, but you wouldn't be a good fit. And you know what he said? He's paused for a long time. And he said, I've been struggling with that my whole life. Mm. Changed the whole conversation. Mm. I said, you're the most arrogant, condescending, cocky person that's ever made application to join our mastermind group. We had an hour conversation after that. And he said, I struggle with it because I don't have anybody around me. Mm -hmm. I I don't have any mastermind members. I don't have any colleagues and peers. Uh, I'm always the guy. And I'm like, how sad is that? How sad is it that you don't have a group of guys that you can talk to be very authentic and transparent because you don't know everything. I don't know everything. Nobody does. But collectively, collectively, Peter, we can accomplish things that we never could alone. Yeah. Very true. Very powerful. I think a lot of leader type alpha energy, people looking to make an impact, um, fall into that trap or they can anyway. And and, uh, I have met many people who, behind closed doors, they let their guard down. Cause they're, the thinking is I, I have to carry the burden. I have to carry the weight. I have to, somebody needs to take charge. Somebody needs to, you know, no, no excuses. We got to get results. And, uh, and oftentimes those people suffer in silence because they don't think that there's any outlet or any other people that are dealing yeah. with what they're dealing with. They're starving to death. They're dying yeah. on the inside. They're yeah. dying. I had a guy recently heard me on a podcast and he's from New Jersey very, very notable individual in New Jersey. And he heard the interview and he called me and uh, we were talking and he said, I've got more money than I'll ever spend. I've got houses everywhere. I'm number one in my profession so many consecutive years. And he said, I'm starving to death for these relationships. Mm-hmm. Isn't it sad though, really, because I want to encourage your listeners, hey, go for it. I love to make money. I hate it, Peter, when people with money go, money's not important. I want to go, you liar. Let's take yeah. it away from you and we'll yeah. see how important it is. <laughs> there is nothing wrong with making money. I love to make money. I want to make more money. I just don't want money to be my motivating force. I don't want money to be my God. Mm-hmm. I don't want money to be the only only reason that I'm doing what I'm doing. Here's the thing. You develop a mentality of giving, helping, serving. The money will come. Money is not that difficult to make. What we need to do is quit trying to make the sale and try to figure out a way to add value. Mm-hmm. And when you figure out a way to add value, the money will come as an appreciation of the thing that you're trying to accomplish. Yes. So change your mentality and become a giver, not a taker. Love that. Um, if I could shift gears for just a second, you've been podcasting for a while. Yes. Yes. For, for how long again? Well, we've had our own show three years and I've been a guest over a thousand times in the past 48 months. What tips can you give in hosting and and possibly also as a guest, um, that would help those that are looking to do something similar? Yeah, a couple of things I'll say. Uh, Five years ago, when I got into this space, I'd been in bricks and mortar for 35 years. I'd never been in the online space. So everything I'd done been local. And I was talking to a couple of my buddies and they said, uh, how are you going to market this coaching? And I said, I don't have any idea. One guy suggested podcast. And I said, okay, cool. What is a podcast? (laughs) <laughs> and he goes, you serious? And I said, I'm dead serious. I don't even know what a podcast is. And he told me what a podcast was. And I said, how do I get on them? 
And he said, well, you just reach out to the podcast host and see if they'll have you. I said, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know the first person to call. And he said, well, there's this young guy named John Lee Dumas, entrepreneur on fire. And I know you've interviewed him not long ago. Matter of fact, you've interviewed a bunch of my friends. I've kind of looked through your podcast. Uh, and so I was, uh, look, I think you interviewed him. Did you interview John Lee? That not, no, I have not. Okay. I was thinking you had interviewed him, but I've got you confused with a different host. But I reached out to John Lee Dumas, told my story, and he said, oh my gosh, I want you on the show. And so I got on the show and I did his show. And uh, from there, things kind of blew up. I mean, uh, people were reaching out and they were giving me a call and I was doing uh, other shows. And that morphed into me developing a strategy to get on shows. And I'll, I'll say without a question, no hesitation, podcasting, being a guest has been the best form of marketing I've ever done in my career. I've grown our business. 95% of it has been a result of me being a guest on podcasts. Wow. And so I spend a third of my time now doing interviews. Wow. I want to tell my story. Yeah. I want to tell and give encouragement to the people that are listening that you too, with a certain amount of grit, determination, and perseverance can do anything you want. You've just got to figure out how to give that value. Mm -hmm. As far as being a host, uh, we have a show called View from the Top, uh, a very good title because my company is View from the Top. My book is View from the Top. And so I have a co-host named Danny Bauer Sunshine, and we uh, co-host this show, and we give people senses of encouragement, teach them tactically how to market their business, how to grow, and how to have a life of success and significance. You see, that's the key that I was missing early on, Peter. The, the thing that I was missing early on is I'd had great success financially, but there was no significance. Mm -hmm. And here's what I discovered through the accident. What would my legacy have been had that been I that was killed? And I thought about it and I thought about it and I said, you know, here's what my legacy would have been. Poor kid from Nashville, Tennessee makes enough money to retire at 27 and nobody cares. Mm. And I thought, golly, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. And so I started thinking about that. And I said, significance is what matters. See, because nobody cares what you have. Nobody cares you have a big house. Nobody cares that you got plenty of money. The only thing that people care about is the impact that you've made on their life. Yeah. That's all they remember is how you make them feel. Yeah. And so then I devoted my life into being more significant rather than being just successful. Uh, that's interesting. So I, some people, I, I think of, there's almost like two flavors of significance where some people think of, I want to be significant and, and be my chest and show the world how great I am versus I want to be significant because I don't want to just twiddle my thumbs and, uh, and not have any impact. And I think that uh, obviously you're talking about the, the latter type of significance sure. where you're making sure. a difference in somebody's yeah. life. Yeah. Um, That's what you're going to be remembered for. I want to tell a quick story and I think yeah. it's relevant. So my dad never made over $15,000 a year in his life. And so he died in 2006. He had lung cancer. My dad was my best friend and he was amazing. He worked with me the last 10 years of his life and we had quite the relationship. We fished or hunted together every week of my life. And so we lived on the same street. Uh, my dad was amazing. Wow. but he, he never made any money ever. My dad didn't care anything about making money. He wanted to make enough money to provide for his family. He wanted to hunt and fish. That's what my dad wanted to do. 
People loved my dad. Peter, you would have loved my dad. Mm -hmm. So I stood at the casket for six hours. It was an hour and a half wait to see me and the family and to view my dad. And people came through from 10 years old to 75 years old. They were crying. They were telling me stories. Here's what your dad did for me. Here's how your dad encouraged me. Your dad always lent a helping hand. Your dad always did this or that. Six and a half hours I stood there and heard these stories about my dad, tears streaming down my face, listening to these stories. And Peter, here's the funny thing. Not one person in six and a half hours said your dad had a nice boat, a nice house, a nice car. Not a tangible possession was mentioned. It was only the relationship piece. Now, why is it that we spend 95% of our time trying to get more stuff when relationships are what matters? And that's the message that I'm trying to teach people today, whether it be your spouse, your children, your peers or colleagues, invest an inordinate amount of time in building the relationship because that's what matters. Well, it's a cold, hollow day when you wake up having achieved a certain bank account figure and the relationships still aren't there and you feel that emptiness. Like like the gentleman that you were talking about before, like how, how isolated and miserable and lonely that life is when you think, oh, once I get that money, I'm gonna have these amazing relationships. People are gonna love me. And then you're still alone. It's like, oh man. You know what happens? It's just the opposite, quite honestly. And I'll tell you, I I could tell you stories for days, but we had a really big house. We had a really big place and our kids grow, you know, grew up and they moved out. And then I talked to my spiritual mentor and I wrestled with the decision of selling the house and buying a smaller house. My pride kicked in and I said, my peers will think I'm not doing as well because I don't have this big house. And he said, here's what's going to happen. He said, what you've done is built a cavern between you and the majority of the people that you associate with. And I said, what do you mean? People can't identify with that kind of house. They can't identify with the cars you drive. They can't identify with the trips that you take. And what you're going to find out is, is that you have fewer relationships, not more relationships. Mm -hmm. A lot of the people think when I get the money in the big house, then I'll have more friends. Well, it's just not true. It Mm -hmm. does not happen. And listen to me, I'm speaking from experience. Mm -hmm. What it happens is it distances you from people. Now, I don't want it to be a demotivator to people to make money because I want you to make money. It's just that you need to make money for the right reason. Have nice things. I have a nice house now. We take nice trips. We have nice cars. We have all those things. But it's way, way, way down the list of importance now as it relates more to my life now as I get older. It's more about the relationship. Mm -hmm. It's true, Peter, and I'm telling everyone that's listening today, focus a lot of energy on being successful, make the money. It feels good not have to worry about mortgage payments and paying the electric bill and, you know, giving money away. It feels good. It does. That's a good feeling. But the thing that matters the most is when I'm sitting around a campfire with a dozen of our friends or we're in small group, we're sharing life together, we're walking through. We have a dozen couples that we do everything with small group. We vacation together. We're at each other's houses all the time. We go to the movies. We go to dinner. We're doing life with about a dozen people on an intimate level. Mm -hmm. And so it's really gratifying and fulfilling when you put yourself in a position to where you prioritize your priorities in a manner that gives you long-term benefits. Yeah. 
Yep. I feel that. Um, that's something else I need to work on too, personally. Um, there's lots of change have gone on in my life and, and just re- redeveloping social networks. So that's, maybe that's a good question. How do you, what rec- what advice do you have for the guy that feels isolated and he's seeking to connect and, and create that type of community? What can he do? Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't want to diminish the value of social media. I mean, we absolutely have a large following and it's of great value and we get business and I form relationships excuse me, as a result of that. But there's nothing that takes the place of an in-person relationship where you meet on a regular basis. Now, I've been very intentional about building relationships. There are three guys that I meet with every Friday morning and have for a dozen years. And I've done that for 30 years, every single week, meeting with three or four guys that hold me accountable. And we call it an accountability group. Uh, how are you treating your wife? And are you looking at the right things? Are you not doing the things you shouldn't be doing? Are you doing the things you should be doing? Are you preparing? Are you saving money? Are you taking care of your wife in the ways that you should be? Are you providing for your children? Are you going to leave an inheritance for them? Are you doing, are you helping other people? Are you doing all those things? Mm -hmm. And when you have that ingrained in you every single week, you're looking for opportunities to do those things. Mm -hmm. The, the relationships are not going to come looking for you you have to be proactive and go look for the relationship. And I could name dozens of people that I've had 40 year relationships with that we meet regularly. We have lunch regularly. We talk regularly. And here's the other thing that I encourage people to do. And people get so caught up in doing the task every day and they forget the piece of like, I put in my phone all of our contacts and I have thousands in my phone and I'll get in the car and go to the bank and I'll call a couple of buddies or I'll call some people in our mastermind group and I won't ask them for anything. I'll just call them and say, Hey man, I was just checking on you, Peter. Want to see how you were, your wife, your children want to see what was going on in your life. Everybody is waiting for the question. Mm -hmm. Most people say, Hey man, while I got you, let me ask you a question. Will you connect me with such and such? You're like, well, now we're getting to the reason Mm -hmm. that you called right? But see, I intentionally don't ask the question. Here's the other litmus test. Every time your phone rings and you look down, somebody's name is on there. If Aaron Walker's name comes up on your phone, Peter, something comes to your mind. It's like he's going to bring the energy. He's got the goods or he's sucking the life out of me or he wants me to connect him with somebody else. Well, see, what thought goes through other people's mind when Peter's name comes up on their screen? Mm. See, I want to be that guy that brings the energy. I want to bring, be that guy that checks on you when I don't want anything. Mm-hmm. Now you've started down a path of building a relationship. Mm-hmm. See, I intentionally reach out and promote. I'll do videos, Facebook lives for years. I'll promote other people's product for years. And then when it's my turn, like I just wrote a book, I'm about to write another book. I'll call people, hey, man, would you consider endorsing my book? Are you kidding? Man, you've been endorsing my stuff for years. See, the worst time and the worst thing to do, people call me all the time because they know I'm friends with Dave Ramsey. Hey, man, would you introduce me to Dave Ramsey? No. (laughs) No, I'm not introducing you today. I get asked that question 10 times a day. Well, why, why won't you? What have you ever done for him? Have you ever promoted Entree Leadership Mastery? Have you ever promoted financial peace? Have you ever been to his conferences, his seminars? No, all you want is something from him. Mm-hmm. You see, that's a mistake. See, we need to spend an inordinate amount of time. I stand here with this backdrop and I do endorsements for people all the time that I believe in. Mm-hmm. 
people that I think I can, I did a deal yesterday for a guy that just launched his book. He has no clue I did this. I did a video endorsement, put it on Amazon, promoting his book. He didn't ask for that. Mm -hmm. I did that intentionally. I do videos every day, encouraging people. I grab my phone and I'll be walking and I'll throw it up and I'll say, hey, Peter, just thinking about you today, man. Hope things are going well. Let me know if I can help you do anything at all. Man, what a great time I had on the interview yesterday. But if you need me for anything, you give me a call and I'll text it to you. Yeah. See, that's the way you build relationships when you're not trying to get something from other people. Yeah, 100%. Solid advice. What, do you, what makes a good father in your mind? Yeah, pretty much all the things we've already discussed. Honestly. Yeah, is there anything, anything? Integrity. Here's the thing. Anybody can be a father, but not many people can be a daddy. Yeah. And see, I want to be a daddy. Yeah. Uh, biologically, you can be, anybody can be a father. But the thing is, is putting your priorities ahead of things. I'll give you an example. I used to take my kids to school all the time, my schedule. I've, I've always worked for myself, so I've been able to kind of build the schedule I wanted. Periodically, sometimes I would cancel meetings, and I'd go get my kids out of school, and I'd take them to the lake. And they're like, Dad, what are you doing? I'm like, hey, I want to hang out with you. Or I would put them first. I would cancel things for their benefit. Mm-hmm. And that shows them, like, Dad, don't you, aren't you supposed to be at work? Yes, I am, but you know what? You're more important. Yeah. And the other thing, I didn't do a lot of things right, Peter. I didn't, but I did do this right. And I want to encourage your listeners, and I know we're nearing the end of our interview, but I I do want to encourage your listeners for one thing. I had a rule, all the companies I've ever owned, if my wife or my daughters call, I'm available, period. I don't care what I'm doing. Now, let me give a caveat to that. I would answer the phone and I would go, Brooke or Holly, dad's busy. Do you need me or can I call you back? No, dad, go ahead. I was just calling. Okay. I'll call you back. I'll hang up. I'll dismiss myself for meetings. Uh, probably, and I don't, maybe they won't call while we're on this interview, but you would wait too. If I was on this interview, I would say, hold on, Peter, you'll have to edit this out. And I would take the call. And I asked my kids when they became adults, I said, tell me one thing that I did right. They said, you were always available. One time I had a girl working for me for about six months at uh, one of our retail stores. And uh, after I got through waiting on the customer, she walked up and handed me a post-it note and it said, give Brooke a call. And I said, well, what is this? And she said, your daughter called. And I said, what I tell you when I hired you? And she said, well, you were with that customer. And I thought you, I said, well, it's not your place to decide those things. I said, don't ever let that happen again. Mm. I'm available if my kids call. And I want to encourage those that can. Some of you guys listening to this, you can't do that. And I get that. You work for somebody else. But if you can, make yourself available. And I think that makes for a good daddy. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, We are getting a little close on time here. But I do, I've asked this question a number of times to several guests. And I'd like to ask you, which is, how do you want to be remembered? And I don't necessarily mean you know, post this human experience. I'm talking about even just maybe an interaction, this, this interview or uh, a touch, any touch point, which I think ultimately does lead to lifelong legacy. But how do you want to be remembered? I have one single goal in mind for every conversation that I interact in is I want you to feel you were important. Mm. Whatever that is, people only remember how you make them feel. Anything else they don't remember, but they do remember how you make them feel. And my number one objective, number one goal is for every person I talk to to feel important because they are. Yes. Agreed. 
Agreed. Well, um, I have some follow-up questions on that, but I think that'll lead down a whole nother, <laughs> a whole nother podcast episode. Um, well, have so, me back, man. I mean, like this come back for, you know, a do over or something. I would, I, I, I would love to do that. I would love to do that. We can well, stack segment two. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm fired up for it. I'm ready for it. Oh, very good. Well, Aaron, thank you so much, man. I, your, your wisdom and your passion is contagious. I appreciate it. And uh, I would love to do um, more calls with you. So again, thank you for your time. And again, it's... Uh, hey, can I share one more thing? You, Please. You we got a couple of minutes. Let me share one more thing that I'm really, really excited about right now. Yeah. We're releasing a product to help you develop your own mastermind group. Oh, perfect. And it's to teach you to scale that as well. And there's a lot of podcast hosts, authors, people in all different arenas that can do industry-specific masterminds. Uh, I teach you what I've learned over the past 21 years. And if you're interested in being a part of that and you would be interested in getting that product, it is a very, I want to warn you though, it's a very extensive, it's a business, it's not a course. We teach you from the very beginning. We've been working on this forever. We've got a ton of money invested in it. It's all the systems and processes, onboarding uh, courses within the course, teaching the members how to interact, how to grow the groups. We teach you from soup to nuts about how to build your own mastermind group, how to scale it. And it is a very, very lucrative business. Wow. And for a very, very small fee, you can get total access to this whole process. And if you're interested in that, you can reach out to me uh, at Aaron at viewfromthetop.com. And if you want to, I would love to have you involved in our program. I know a number of people that would be very interested in that, myself included. So please add me to that list. Um, yeah, I'd love to go through that because that's cool. something I want to build. Very um, cool. And then uh, the mastermind again, iron sharpens iron.com, is it? Uh, go to viewfromthetop.com and everything okay. you need is there. Uh, okay. View from the top is the name of the parent company and the mastermind is called Iron Sharpens Iron. Love it. All right. Very good. Aaron, thank you again. Appreciate thank it. You, Peter. Enjoy All it, right. buddy. Take care.